we quickly determined that to do our own network was going to be cheaper and more beneficial for the community. Hi there, and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Today, Chris interviews Jeff Wilson, IT director for Holly Springs, North Carolina. In the summer of 2013, the town council voted to invest in municipal network infrastructure for anchor institutions. Unfortunately, state barriers in North Carolina prevent Holly Springs from offering network services to businesses and residents. Nevertheless, after careful consideration, the community determined that the investment would pay for itself by eliminating the need to pay incumbents for telecommunications. A year later, the network is lit and serving community anchor institutions while saving significant public dollars. Even though state law precludes certain activities, Holly Springs hopes to encourage competition via its infrastructure. The network is bringing free Wi-Fi to much of the town's green spaces, and Holly Springs is taking full advantage of its new asset within the confines of North Carolina's law. Here are Chris and Jeff discussing the network in Holly Springs. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Jeff Wilson, the IT Director of Holly Springs in North Carolina. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about Holly Springs? Uh, where is it located? What's, uh, what's, what's interesting about it? Uh, Holly Springs, it'll be soon to be about 30,000 residents, and we're just right outside of Raleigh. We're in the same county as Raleigh in the, in the uh, Triangle region of North Carolina. Um, we are very much a commuter community with a lot of people who are employed in Raleigh and Research Triangle Park, and we, just, we have a lot of... Um, well-educated, uh, very family-oriented uh, resident. Excellent. I've, I've been through the Triangle a number of times. It seems like a wonderful place to live, uh, lots of trees, very interesting urban design. It's, it's a nice place to be. Yes, it is. It's, it's really lovely to live here. So one year ago, you, uh, actually I shouldn't just say you, but uh, your town, your elected officials voted to pursue a municipal fiber network that was going to connect the uh, public facilities, uh, the schools, the, the hospital, um, the, uh, the anchor institutions is what I'm trying to come up with in my head. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about why that decision was made? Well, mainly initially we're gonna, we are providing services to our municipal buildings within the town. Um, the decision was made when we started looking at what our data needs were going to be for the next couple of years and, and moving forward long term. And it quickly started seeing this exponential increase in cost with the uh, least data services from income providers. So we did the estimations and we decided to investigate what it would take to do our own fiber network to connect our facilities. Our facilities aren't that far from each other. So we didn't think that it would, it would cost a huge amount to do that. So we started with a business analysis where we hired CTC. I presented that to our council and they gave CTC and the council gave us the blessing and the thumbs up to go forward with the full business case and that's something that we should do. CTC again did the business case and turned around um, about a year ago now. We had a return on it with even doing debt service on it that would pay for itself in less than 10 years on a very conservative uh, 10 years, and that was just using it for the town's usage that wasn't even doing any dark fiber leasing or anything. And with that, the council unanimously approved for us to move forward with this project, and we pretty quickly went out to engineering and bid on the project and started it on actually December 2nd of 2013. 
and we just completed it and lit it on June 17th. Wow, so it was almost a year from from the original decision then. Correct. We've been we we've had people who are amazed that we actually got that done that quickly because it was a 13 mile network um, and went from went from business case to design to being built in about a year. Yeah, that doesn't happen up uh, north of the the. I guess maybe the Mason Dixon line is pretty close. I think <laughs> where you know we we don't do a whole lot of digging here in the in February or January in Minnesota. No, we ha- we had a lot of uh, bad weather this year. We had some we did have some snow, but mainly rain caused us some delays. We probably were delayed about a month, a month and a half, but we're still within our timeline that we had hoped for to start disconnecting all of our incumbent provider lines and, and moving forward. One of the nice quotes that we saw when we were doing a little bit of research into it when the original decision was made is from uh, council member Tim Sack, who said that not building this network was going to provide less than what we need and more than we can afford, <laughs> which I thought was a really good way of phrasing it. He, he's been a really great proponent. The whole council has really been really great. The town needed it because of our data services. We, we, we're doing more and more public wireless uh, more and more remote monitored security cameras at facilities, and just the data needs that our employees have on a daily basis to support the citizens and businesses in the town had exceeded those lease lines, and it, it just did not make sense anymore to continue. It did not make sense to rent something that we could actually own and have a return on that was pretty quick. Well, can we can we talk about some specific numbers? I mean, one of the things we often hear from the existing providers is, "Hey, we already provide all this stuff. You know, we'll we'll do fiber to you. Um, why why is the business case more compelling to own it than to lease it?" Well, we actually have fiber to all of our facilities through the, the current income provider, but they charge a very nominal rate for the utilization of their bandwidth. When we started looking at the fact of what we needed to increase our bandwidth to, what at the same time we felt comfortable as town management requesting our council for funding for, which was still less than what we actually needed at these facilities moving forward, we quickly determined that to do our own network was going to be cheaper and more beneficial to the community. And the network cost $1.5 million, and that was including all engineering and construction. And we were under budget in the end of it, too. And so how long does that take before it breaks even relative to what you had been paying for the slower services? If I took the amount that we needed today to counsel for this budget year, each of those payments would pay the network off in approximately 10 years. And that's not counting for over future years, adding facilities to the network, uh, not accounting for the faster data speeds needed in the future. So that could exponentially um, decrease the ROI just based off the town's growth and the town's need. But again, we went very conservative on the business case, and I think that's one of the most impressive things about what we did and also working with CTC, um, that it still had such a positive return for a future-proof asset. And so one of the things you mentioned is public Wi-Fi that you're doing a lot of. Where do you have this uh, access set up for the public? We have it in almost all of our park facilities. Um, Right now we're working on kind of a hybrid solution using our fiber and some wireless to get to some pocket parks that don't really make sense to build fiber to. Um, That was one question we did have a lot of when building this network. Why not wireless? That's the new technology. But we are making a a kind of a hybrid mix of those technologies. But we'll have it in 
we're trying to get into all of our parks this year, um, including the pocket parks and a lot of our public spaces, like the areas outside of the facilities, kind of the concert type areas, you know, the green areas between buildings and out in parks and just trying to get it spread as much as possible. In what ways are you maybe changing your city policy so that over time you'll be able to add conduit uh, as necessary as part of other projects to expand this network? We don't have any policies in place right now, and we've we've had some kind of general conversations about doing something like that in the future. Whenever our engineering department of public works are going to have an open cut for sewer or water replacements or additions, and it's a place that makes sense to add conduit. We'll have conduit in stock and add that in and put handholds to terminate those conduits. The other thing that we would like to do is work with developers. If there's an area that makes sense to add conduit when they're putting in a storm drain or having to add water and sewer for the town, whether we can work with them on having our public works staff come in at the same time in that joint trench and add the conduit, or if we can talk them into installing conduit that we may provide into those trenches. So we are trying to go in that direction. We just don't have any kind of policies finalized. It's definitely something that we're looking into. So under North Carolina law uh, passed in 2011, you're quite limited in how you can use your network to provide any services to non-governmental entities for a fee, basically. Right. I mean, you can you can do the free wireless hotspots, which is... Um, mm-hmm. which isn't some states actually do crack down on that as well. So you have a little bit of freedom there. But uh, I guess the, the question is, is how has this law changed uh, your approach to building the network or some of the things you might have liked to have done? One of the things that the law has done is when we started building this network for our municipal connections, we had a lot of questions from residents and businesses, when can we connect to this network? Unfortunately, our answer is based off the law that we are not allowed to provide the services. And so what we do is we pretty much try to reach out to the providers in the area to find out what they're doing as far as innovation for residents and businesses. We have the ability with dark fiber, and we definitely have a lot of extra capacity in our network, and it was routed strategically through business districts and near subdivisions to, to be used by a private company who would be interested in in reducing their their initial infrastructure outlay uh, cost. So we're definitely working and, and would love to be able to partner with somebody in the future with that kind of situation where we can do the dark fiber leasing. If we could provide lit services, it'd be something that we'd look into. We don't know for sure if we would actually do that or not, because it is a large undertaking, of course, but partnerships are going to be the key to make something like that happen and to use the fiber network for private good. How do people react then when you tell them that the state has told you that even though you spent uh, under $1.5 million in building this network, that you're not able to use it to really you know, supercharge economic development in, in all of the ways that you might want to? I mean, like you said, you, there's some options available to you, so it's not totally foreclosed. But, but really, I mean, when we look at these networks, we see that if you can't offer – um, lit services to businesses or can't very clearly make it as easy as possible for a partner to do it, then it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Correct. And they have always asked me, what can we do to change that? So we have a citizen's base who backs competition in the area and faster connectivity at home at an affordable price. The citizens and, and businesses have been extremely 
supportive of the network from the initial stages because they knew that it was a sign that the town's willing to innovate. Um, municipal fiber is not a new thing. There's a lot of communities around here. Our neighbors, town of Cary, town of Apex, and even in Raleigh, they do a lot of fiber. It's just how you approach it with the making it usable in the future for more than just a municipal connection, and that's what we've tried to do. And the, under, the, the residents seem to understand that and see that and, and back it. We just try to make sure that we give the citizens some level of return by providing um, very good speeds for public wireless in as many places as we can possibly provide it and continue growing that and also providing more online services through the town that they can use to make their interactions with the town and the community uh, simpler, easier, and, and more efficient. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and telling us a bit about Holly Springs. Well, thank you very much for having me. You can learn more about Holly Springs at muninetworks.org or at the CTC website, ctcnet.us. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us. You can reach us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. This show was published on July 15, 2014. Thank you again to Waylon Thornton for the music. The song is Bronco Romp, licensed using Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Thank you.